Hi everybody, I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies. And there's a movie now that I love and that you're gonna love called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And it's complicated to do it. That's why I have Buster Scruggs himself, Tim Blake Nelson, to explain it all to us. You know, who is Buster? Who is this guy? When I looked at you in that white ca singing cowboy who's a, a murderous psychopath as well. Well, <laughs> it just says Tim Blake Nelson. Yes, That's, exactly. Right. But, uh, you know, as actors, I guess we have to love our characters, so I can't think of him as a psychopath. <laughs> um, and uh, he lives by a certain code, uh, and he never kills unprovoked. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just serve him whiskey when he wants it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and don't call him a tin horn. Uh, yeah, so it was a great character to get to play. So when Joel and Ethan Cohen come to you and say, Tim, we've got this guy in a kind of Roy Rogers singing cowboy white suit who um, is going to shoot people who do provoke him, and then you can sing again and do it. You say what? I say, uh, when are you going to do this? And when do I get to, to do it? And who's going to finance it with me in this role? Uh, luckily, Joel and Ethan, who are um, manifestly uh, unconventional, cast unconventional actors uh, in unconventional roles that they write in their unconventional stories. And somehow uh, they get them made beautifully. Um, with all the production values and meticulousness that they um, bring to bear as, as writer-directors. And so I was given this script in 2002, if you can believe it. Uh, and they said, we've got to write these... They'd written mine, the one, the one they offered me, and they'd written this other one, which uh, is about... Um, a legless, armless oh, yes, thespian yes. Mm -hmm. uh, carried around by Liam Neeson. So, yeah, I waited 15 years, uh, <laughs> and they said, okay, we have the other ones, and we're going to make it. The tone of each of these changes, sometimes very dramatically, but it is about death, isn't it? It's the Old West, and it's about people facing being wiped out at any minute. I think that's absolutely right. It's about mortality, mm -hmm. uh, told in six different subgenres of the Western genre. Uh, and then in the final episode, there's this little speech that this character gives, and he talks about stories as being around in life to distract us from our mortality. And suddenly you say, wow. That's what, that's what thematically brings this all together. All these vignettes about mortality are ultimately a distraction from our mortality. And the character actually says, <clears throat> we love stories because they're us, but they're not us. And so we're watching all of these other people die somehow in an oxymoronic way, reassured that it's never going to be us. But, of course, it's where we're all headed, and that's kind of the point that the final story makes. And, and then you're just uh, understanding suddenly in the moment uh, what this has all been about while you've been thoroughly entertained as mm -hmm. well. Well, it, used, it starts to add up as we see it, but yeah. your buster, 
comes, the, the tone of this one is when you, you singing <laughs> on a horse. In that, I assume you're just a great rider. I'm okay. Hey, I'm okay. Granger Hines, uh, who's in one of the ones later, the he's wagon the best trainer. rider, yeah, of all of us. But I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it looks like you're really confident on that horse and singing and knowing where you're going. So even if inside you were coming apart, yeah. <laughs> is this horse going to throw me? What? You don't see any of that. Well, the tough part was <clears> playing <throat> the guitar while riding, because to play yes. the guitar, you need two hands, mm-hmm. and to neck rein a horse, you need at least one hand. And, and so that was, uh, <laughs> so I was doing a lot of the work with my legs, which you can also do, but if you're a really good rider, and since I'm not a really good rider, uh, it took a few takes uh, for me to steer the horse in the right way. <laughs> so you got along. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was good. The horse was, it was only one horse. Uh, yeah. You didn't ha- he didn't have any kind of stand-in horse, did he? No, no he didn't. No, it was just uh, And there you are, you're, you're singing like uh, Cool Clear on her. And look, you've got that smile that's a mile wide, and everything is just great in the world. And if they cross you... It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Uh, and that's Joel and Ethan. I mean, you know, I, I think they, everyone in their movies, uh, it's very Old Testament. They get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think you've got it figured out, life is going to swat you down. Uh, and somehow thematically they achieve that in in almost all of their movies in such a loving such a loving way, way everyone gets their comeuppance yes uh i really actually mean that i mean mm. there's a there's a, a tender justice uh to the cohen's um like narrative logic yeah yeah a tender justice yeah and you go back with them to oh brother where art thou right I look at you and I want to go, in the jailhouse now. I start singing that to do it. And when you had that first experience of working with them then, what was that like? I couldn't believe that they, they offered me the role, um, first of all. It was sent to me uh, by Joel mm-hmm. with a note uh, that I still have. I keep it right in my desk and I often look at it uh, because it was a moment that really changed my life. Um, and he said, I just, will you read this? We need your advice. Oh, because you're a classics. Yeah. I remember hearing him say that you were the only one, forget Clooney and Totoro and anyone else, that actually was a classics major. Yes, I was. <laughs> and so I thought, well. So you knew it was the Homer. Yeah. They were oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had read it, of course, but I. I, I sort of thought, well, he doesn't, he thinks that I know the Greeks. I'm really more of a Latinist. Uh, so if this were Virgil, I could really talk to him about it. <laughs> but I've only read this in translation. I didn't read it in the original Greek, and I'm no Homeric scholar. Um, I hope you just didn't say any of that. I, di- I didn't, uh, because he, then I called him, and I said, okay, I've read it. Now, what do you need? Um, and then he said, well, Actually, I don't need your advice. We're good, but I want you to play this part, um, Delmar. And uh, I didn't take it at first because they're such 
good guys, Joel and Ethan, mm -hmm. that the last thing you ever want to do is disappoint them or see them be disappointed, whether it's at your hands or not. Mm -hmm. And I said, I've got to try the role on. I wasn't reading it with that in mind, so can I sleep on it and just play around with it a little bit by myself so that I can know I'm going to show up and, and do a good job for you? And he said, yeah, but we're pretty sure. And I said, I, I've really, I just, it, I, couldn't, I couldn't disappoint you. And so I slept on it and I read it a little bit and tried out some different approaches to the role. And I thought, all right, I think I can, I think I can do this. And then I did it and matriculated and, and it, was a great, it was a great time. It's so interesting to me as I've talked to you over the years <laughs> that here you are, this, basically you're a Jew from Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's right, yeah. It makes no sense, none of it, who's a classic scholar. At I wouldn't call time. myself a scholar. I did study would. it. You went to Brown. <laughs> yeah, you studied it. You you don't know that much about Homer, which we've now learned. Right. You know? I just just I'm, my knowledge of Homer is pretty much equal to anyone who's read the Iliad and the Odyssey. But I want to know, out of this kid from Oklahoma, decides he's going to be in this crazy business. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I acted a lot in high school and enjoyed it very much. I had a great time just playing characters. Uh, and growing up in Tulsa, I, 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 we would do skits uh, in morning meeting and I would do these Oklahoma characters and I had a lot of fun doing that. But then, uh, you know, like, uh, like um, as Paul advises uh, in the New Testament, um, I was going to put away childish things uh, <laughs> when I went to college. Uh, and so I decided I would be a, a classicist. I wanted to be a, either a Latin teacher or a Latin professor. Uh, and so I went off on my classics major. I chose to go to Brown because of their classics department. <laughs> uh, during my uh, freshman year, my mother said, well, what are you going to do this summer? And I said, I'm going to come home and and hang out in the house and get a job somewhere. And she said, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a classicist. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, you know, my mother's a very educated woman. She went to Bryn Mawr and studied philosophy in the 50s. Mm -hmm. So she's a real trailblazer. Um, and she said, nothing would make me happier than to have a son who's a classicist. But you did kind of like acting in high school. And it's this moment in your life when you can do anything you want. You have no children. You don't even have a girlfriend to whom you're beholden. <laughs> you can go anywhere on the planet and do anything. You're, you're 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Don't come home and live with your mother. I love you and I want you in the house, <laughs> but go Just and to do visit. something. Yeah. yeah. She said, you liked acting in high school. Why don't you go do a, get involved with the summer theater? And I, I, once I got over the rarity of a mom saying, go be an actor to a child, which is, I don't think, normal, um, I said, all right. And I went and, uh, and acted in a summer theater and, and decided, wow, I really do love this and I want to pursue it. So I stuck with the classics major and started acting in plays, and then I went to graduate school as an actor. You do that, but what you also do brilliantly, I think, is 
write, direct, make movies of, of some of the plays that you've written. Right. I Have yeah. God or Grey Zone, which is an incredible movie to me. Thank and you. when that came out, because it's about the Holocaust, it's very close. I mean, was it your maternal grandparents, you know, that basically got out of Germany just before to escape the Nazis? That's right, with my mother. Um, they are technically Holocaust refugees, not survivors. Mm -hmm. uh, they left because of the Holocaust, essentially right uh, before Kristallnacht. Uh, and they, via England, they came over to the U.S. And they ended up in Tulsa for a lot of complicated reasons, which really had to do with wanting Jews dispersed around the country so that they wouldn't be vulnerable to roundups in the cities. Because mm -hmm. Jews, assimilated Jews, tended to, and I suppose still tend to, congregate in the cities uh, or to live in the cities. And so... Um, Jews were encouraged to get out into the country so that they would populate communities everywhere mm -hmm. and, and not be vulnerable to being rounded up. And so they ended up in Tulsa. And when you were growing up, were they telling you the stories about this? And what yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, had an enormous amount of influence over me. We were very, very close. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was this brilliant um, brilliant man, one of the smartest men I've ever met. Uh, and he was, a, he was a lawyer in Germany. Funnily enough, uh, he was to be disbarred during the Nuremberg Laws, because that's when they said no Jews can mm -hmm. be lawyers anymore. But he happened to be, at the time, representing the German government in a, in a dispute with the Russians that involved Sergei Eisenstein. And so they gave him dispensation to keep practicing so he could finish that case, which is just incredible to me. It really is. Uh, and I, I've, I was never able to learn before he died what in the world was the dispute with one of the seminal filmmakers in... Yeah, in, what was yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, what, what were the... <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> but he said, you know, in his German accent, I was representing the German government against the Sergei Eisenstein. And I just, and I, I wasn't, I was a teenager, and so I just didn't understand enough at the time what a nugget that was. I, I mean, I really should have just pursued it, but I was too ignorant. No, you were time. still wondering yeah. why your mother didn't want you at home. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was it. Why is this happening? You know, it's, it's fascinating to me because when you, you make the gray zone, when you make a Holocaust film, there's always going to be people coming out saying you shouldn't be doing this. Right. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's Schindler's List or it's anything. It's as if the subject is too great to be made into a movie. And yet you do. And you deal with the, uh, what is it, the Sonderkommando, the, right. the, the sense of Jews who say maybe to buy themselves some time that they'll participate yeah. in getting people to the ovens to where everything like that is. What drove you to do it? Was it your own background? Your own? It was my own background. And I, um, I actually spent uh, over a year... Um, writing another play, which was very much just about my mother's story. Mm -hmm. And kind of for the reasons you describe, I put it aside because I felt like 
although it was important and cathartic and personal uh, uh, to me, I really wasn't offering anything new. Uh, and then I came across the Zonder Commandos, um, just I never even knew they existed, in this chapter from The Drowned and the Saved by Primo Levi. And I thought, wow, now that, that's something that hasn't been explored and, and that I want to try. And I take, you know, that Claude Lonsman um, sentiment very seriously that as soon as you try to do anything fictional about the Holocaust... Mm-hmm you're somehow implicitly saying it's ascertainable, but this is so horrible that 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 in itself is kind of a crime against the Holocaust. Uh, so you must not fictionalize it. And I, I understand that point mm-hmm. of view, uh, but I ultimately did decide, well, I'm going to try to try to do this. It just seems that when you work that way as a playwright or a writer-director in film, that... <clears throat> your life comes into it a lot. The <clears throat> Eye of God, too, mm-hmm. is a woman living in Oklahoma, you know, yeah. and basically not knowing what the next steps are. And in Leaves of Grass, it's <laughs> there's this whole thing going on where Edward Norton is playing twins <laughs> who have that same kind of conflict, you know, that you were just describing. I didn't understand. One understands, one doesn't. One's an academic and the other one is, is a liver of life. Is a, yeah. is a liver of life doing that. And yet within this career where you're doing all that, you still can appear in <laughs> the Incredible Hulk, um, Minority Report, um, big giant movies like this. Does this cause massive schizophrenia in you? Or is it just the part of being an actor in this world we live in? Uh, th- certainly there's... There, uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, Schizophrenia to a degree, because sometimes, um, I mean, aesthetic schizophrenia, I guess, because sometimes on on the bigger budget movies, there's attention, an, an enormous amount of attention and also an enormous amount of resources paid to certain stuff that doesn't seem so important while other stuff is neglected. Uh, and sometimes that's that's a little strange to deal with, but ultimately I just feel phenomenally lucky. Uh, it's just so unlikely um, to, to have a career at all. Uh, and, um, and, you know, all of it is, is uh, I feel so incredibly blessed, blessed to be sitting in this chair talking to you. I really mean it. It's just all of it has been a, a wonderful continuing surprise well tim this is the first time you've done this show with me and so you don't know it ends in song i didn't know that it always well i don't tell people because then maybe they won't come except you you have song in your heart can you just give me a little (laughs) bit of a frame can you do a little cool clear water can you do something from buster scruggs uh all day i face the barren waste without the taste of water Water. I love it. Now I think the gun's going to come out and I'm going to be shot. Tim, thank you so much. Thank you for always having me here. Yeah. Yeah.